Good morning. Welcome to the services here at Anna Street. So we've been talking the last uh, couple of weeks about uh, Jesus. We talked about his birth, and then I think Brother Dusty talked about that and told us the story of his birth. And then last week, Brother Jeremy talked about his adolescence or his young childhood. And today we're going to talk about the ministry of Christ. And as Brother Matt said, when you look at the, what they call the synaptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you kind of look at how many pages are in there, the majority of it is devoted to his ministry. The last part of the book is about his death and then his resurrection, but the biggest majority talks about all that Christ did while he was here on this earth. So as also Brother Matt said, kind of getting all of that into 30, 35, 40, 45 minutes, however long we decide to talk this morning, um, that's, a, that's a little bit of a challenge. So when I think about the ministry of Christ, I want to talk to you a little bit just about kind of the history, the, you know, just kind of help you understand what the, the, did I say genealogy? I meant the ministry of, of Christ. And so let's just talk about where it all began. Christ's ministry begins in Luke chapter 22 with his baptism. Luke comes to John the Baptist who's been in the wilderness preaching. And Jesus walks up and John sees him and he baptizes him and baptizes him. And then we have this verse in Luke chapter Three in verse number 22, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, and, and you I am well pleased. So Jesus is baptized, and he starts this, what we call his ministry, and it goes on from the time he's baptized for about three and a half years. Um, he's about 30 years old when we begin here in Luke chapter 3 begins with his baptism there. It ends with uh, the upper room where he uh, establishes the Lord's Supper, which we'll take later. So the time between the upper room and his baptism is what's typically called the ministry of Christ while he was here on this earth. The historians differ on the time. It's uh, somewhere between A.D. 27 and tw- to 29 when it got started here with his baptism and goes on until A.D. 30 to 36. And the way they date that is through the different things that are going on and the different leaders that are in power, and they can look back in history and find out, okay, Herod was in power here, and this story is happening when Herod's in power. And Sometimes it even tells you what year of the reign of a particular person. There's other historic events that we know happened at a specific point in time, and they can then lay the story of Jesus over those historical dates that we know, and they can get within a couple of years of when all of this happened. So over 2,000 years ago, historically, is when it happened. If we look at geography, in in, uh, Luke chapter 3 and verse number 1, it tells us now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So there we can get some history. They know when Tiberius Caesar reigned, and in the 15th year of his reign, that's where we're putting all of this in the point in history. It says, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being patriarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, patriarch of Iturea, and the region of, uh, I never can say this right, Trachonitis, and uh, Licinius, the patriarch of Abilene. So the map's really hard to read, but this says patriarch of Herod. So Herod's here in Galilee. And Pontius Pilate is the governor of Judea down here. The patriarch of Philip, he's up here. There's Itcherea up there. There's Abilene there, which it says uh, Licinius is ruling over this area up here. 
So you've got all of these folks that are ruling in this geographical region of uh, what used to be at this point all of Israel. It's been subdivided and you got a northern and a southern kingdoms and, and some of them have been carried into Babylonian captivity and come back and you've got the Sumerian, the Sumerian region here. So when we talk about Jesus, we know he was baptized in the River Jordan, which flows from the Sea of Galilee down to the what's called the Dead Sea. And so he was baptized in the Jordan River somewhere. It tells us that he was tempted in the wilderness. Most people think he was tempted in the wilderness of Judea right here. During that temptation, he was led up to the city of Jerusalem during that temptation. And then he returns to Galilee. So that's the first few days, months, whatever, of Jesus's, um, his ministry. So right after he's baptized, he goes through this process of being tempted, which I think is um, an amazing process. I guess if you're ever going to try to get into the mind of a young Christian, the best time is probably right after they're baptized, before they might be well grounded in the scriptures, might, you know, might, that might be a good time to try to change their mind. And so he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted there. He's, he fasts for 40 days. So I've been on a diet, and a lot of you know, for, uh, well, for about two months. I've lost about 15 pounds. Was 20, back to about 18. So I'm somewhere in that 18 pound loss range. And I can tell you, there's been days when I've fasted for my brothers and sisters in Christ in, in, in past. When I've not eaten all day long. Jesus did that for 40 days. I can't even fathom 40 days without anything to eat. And the first thing the devil tells him is, hey, why don't you make these stones become bread? Now, if you had that power, don't you think you'd be pretty tempted to turn those stones into bread if you hadn't eaten for 40 days? Or maybe biscuits and gravy or whatever it is that you like. You know, if you have that power, steak, eggs, whatever it is, baked potato with lots of butter and cheese, whatever it is that you like, right? If you had that power to turn those rocks into 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 whatever it is that you like to eat. That seems like it would be pretty tempting, right, to the flesh. That's the first way the devil tries to tempt him. Jesus tells him no, answers him with Scripture. And then he takes him up, as it says here, into this high place in Jerusalem and shows him all the area around him. And he says, all this could be yours if you'll just fall down and worship me. Again, Jesus says no, can't, can't do that. Answers him with Scripture. <laughs> And then he says, well, it's written. So the devil gets kind of tricky. He says, you want to talk scripture? I'll tell you some scripture. It's written that if, if you were to fall down, that the Lord would send the angels and that they would lift you and catch you before you ever dashed your foot against a stone. And again, he answers, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Answers him with scripture. So that's the way his ministry begins. A very, he tempts him just like the Bible tells us we're tempted through the lust of the flesh. The stones being toned to bread, turned to bread. We're tempted through the lust of the eyes, looking out over the kingdom of Jerusalem. All this can be yours. And we're tempted through the pride of life, right? My ego, my pride. That's the way the devil gets at us. And he tries all three of them with Jesus here, and Jesus overcomes them. You see, we don't serve a Savior that hasn't been tempted like we are. He was tempted in all points like us. And so thus begins Jesus' ministry. I want to turn to John chapter 1, and I want to read several of the verses there, about the first 18 verses, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the way John introduces Jesus to uh, the world. 
It says, in the beginning was the Word. Again, properly uh, capitalized, capital W, that means it's referring to a person. And the Word was God, and the Word, or the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, again talking about John, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who uh, was coming, or that gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, and who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, again, capital W, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him. Again, John the Baptist bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is the Father, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. So the Apostle John here, talking about John the Baptist, talks about how John came. And, and if you remember in the Luke, he talks about the fact that he was in the wilderness preparing the way. And then Jesus came to John, and John baptized him, and, John, and Jesus started his ministry. But I want you to uh, look at a couple of things. I was reading an article that just this last week where a fellow quoted this verse and then tried later on in the in the uh, in the uh, article I was reading to convince people that Jesus was not God himself or that Jesus was not God. He was just a man. And I said, you just quoted this verse right here at the very beginning, which clearly points out that that's not the case. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And it says, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then in verse number 14, it says, the Word became flesh and came and dwelt among us. The Word, of course, is Jesus. And He came, and the Word the word there, Logos, Logos, is that right, Michael? Logos is the Greek word which means speech or teaching or talking. Jesus became the messenger to us from His Father. <clears throat> it says he, he was in the beginning with God. It says here that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. You see, Jesus came first to the Jews. And the Jews were his people. That was his lineage. And they would not receive him. He goes on to say, uh, but to all of us that would receive him, we have the right to become the children of God. So that's our blessing today. As Gentile believers that have received Christ, we, we have this ability to become the children of God. Again, we talked about the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. An interesting uh, 
interesting here, it, it ends up in verse number 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. It's saying that we didn't understand the full essence of the Almighty God. We've heard about him, Old Testament wrote about him, but we didn't understand the full essence. But the, but the God, Jesus, that was at his side, he understands him. And he came to this earth to tell us about this God and to tell us about himself. The Bible tells us that there's, it was a, there was a mystery that's been revealed to us through Christ's coming. So a picture here of Jesus as he uh, is going about Galilee and starting to pick out 12 apostles that are going to follow him and be part of his crew. And um, there's a lot of stories that can be told here, but um, interesting that um, he had to have help, right? He needed, he needed some folks to be a part of this message that he was going to bring about this future that was going to be. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. So why, why do you think Jesus came to the earth? Why did he come? I mean, there's a lot of things he did. There's a lot of things he got accomplished. But what was his purpose? What was his mission? Why did, why did he come down here? We talked a little bit there at the end of uh, John in chapter 18. He came to tell us about the Godhead. He came to tell us about what, what this mystery that had been talked about in shadows and had been prophesied about for thousands of years. He came to make that known to us. That's one thing. He came to change religion, right? He came to change hearts. He came to change minds. He came to change lives. He came to change the world. But he did all of those. But what was his mission? What was, what, what was, what did he come for? You know, the Bible tells us, it gives us some answers. It tells us here in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus didn't come to nail the old uh, law to the cross, although he did do that. through his. But he came to fulfill it first. He came to fulfill every dot. Every, the Bible calls it every jot and every tittle. Every dotting of the I and every crossing of the T. Jesus came to fulfill that. And once he had done that perfectly, he did away with it and gave us a new way, a new law, a new covenant with him. So he did that. That's one of the reasons he came. <clears throat> he came to establish a kingdom. And this is what really had people confused. It had been prophesied for thousands of years that there was going to be a Messiah. There was going to be a Savior. They were going to come. He was going to establish a kingdom. It had happened back in Daniel. It said that in the days of the Roman Empire that someone was going to come and they were going to set up a kingdom. That's what happened. We talked last week, right, in his early adult when, they, when Herod killed all of the male children two years old and under. He was afraid of a kingdom that was coming to be established. It had been prophesied. It's the days of the Roman kings. It's going to happen soon. And now everybody's talking about this Jesus fellow that's been born in Bethlehem and talking about he's going to be a king. He's got to get rid of that. That's a challenge to him. He did come to establish a kingdom. It tells us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 10 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as Jesus, they've asked him how to pray. He's given them the model prayer. He says one of the things you can pray for is for the kingdom to come. Because it, it hadn't been established yet. It hadn't come yet. He goes on to tell us in Mark chapter 9, Truly I say unto you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So he tells them that are standing there, he said, the kingdom is going to come before some of you die. Which gives us again some timing that the civil government was all worried about. He's saying, hey, before some of you die, there's going to be a kingdom come. And it's a kingdom that was prophesied. It's never going to be destroyed. So that gets everybody itchy that's in civil government, that they're about to lose their jobs. It was prophesied by Daniel. We talked about that. In Matthew chapter 16, we find out that this kingdom is going to be called the church, which, again, they didn't fully comprehend yet. So in, in, um, on Jesus' way back, after he's been tempted, and he's going back to Galilee to kind of start his ministry, he's in Nazareth, where he had been raised uh, for much of his childhood, it tells us there in Luke chapter 3. And it, it says this. He quotes some Old Testament scripture, Jesus does. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the years of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is on the way back. He goes to Nazareth, as is his custom. He goes into the synagogue to teach. He gets some of the old law, and he reads this, and he sits down. And everybody's talking about, who is this guy? Isn't that Joseph's son? What? what? And then he says something that shocks them. He says, today that scripture is fulfilled in me. So that's why he came. There's his mission. Now people look at that and they go, okay, well he did physically go and he did physically go and take give some people their sight back and he did see the the cool thing about that is not only did he do all those things physically, but he did them spiritually as well. He he took away the darkness spiritually. He gave us light. He gave us sight spiritually that we didn't have. The old law didn't provide that for us. And again, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That ties back to the verse number 18 in John, where he's saying, I'm coming to tell you about this favor, this Lord, this God that you serve. I'm coming to make it personal. It's no longer going to be a bunch of thou shalt do's and thou shalt not do's. I want a personal relationship with you, and I'm going to come and I'm going to give my life to buy that. So that's why he came <clears throat> To reverse the effects of Adam's sin is another reason. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So from the very beginning of time, this is, this is the Lord proclaiming the punishment on Adam and Eve and the serpent for having eaten of the forbidden fruit. And he says, there's going to be a woman someday that's going to produce some offspring. That offspring is going to bruise the, is going to, uh, bruise the head of the serpent and it's going to bruise the heel 
of that man. And we know that man to be Jesus, right? He came and he took away. He reversed reversed the effects of the sin that Adam created because you see, Adam's sin put sin in the world and sin, the result of sin, is always death. Jesus came and said, when you sin, I will provide a way to give you forgiveness that can lead you to eternal life. He reversed the effects of sin. He goes on to say in Matthew chapter 1, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. In Matthew chapter 9, But when he, when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Son of Man came to save the lost in Matthew chapter 18. So that's why Jesus came. He came to save the lost. He came to reverse this sin spiral that we were in before He came. Now, He didn't come to remove the consequences of sin. So there's a difference. So let me give you an example. If I go out and rob a bank and I get caught and I go to court and I get sentenced to 10 years in jail that's the consequences here on earth for that sin he didn't remove those you're going to pay for your sin here on earth the law of the seed and the law of the sower it's going to happen if you're going to reap what you sow here on this earth but I could the first day in prison pick up a book maybe the bible read about the Bible, Eddie could come visit me in prison. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. (laughs) Sister Susan's kind of laughing like, that ain't going to (laughs) happen. But let's say Eddie did come visit me in prison and we read the Bible together and Eddie convinces me that I've got to change my life, that I need to believe in Jesus and that I need to confess that I believe in him. That I need to repent, that I need to turn away from all those sins, and that I need to be baptized, and I decide that's what I want to do. My sin, from a heavenly standpoint, from an eternal standpoint, it's gone. Those consequences have been removed. I'm no longer facing death from a spiritual consequence for that sin. But I'm still facing 10 years in prison. That doesn't get me out of prison. I'm still there. Because I'm going to face those consequences here on this earth. That's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to, to, to forgive you for all the bad stuff that you've done from a, from a civil standpoint. He did come to forgive you from an eternal standpoint. <clears throat> Jesus had a lot of enemies when he came. He had the enemy of sin. He had the devil that was fighting against him. In fact, the very first thing, the devil. He had the religious authorities, the Jews, the Sanhedrin court, all the religious authorities. He had the civil authorities that were trying to keep him from establishing a kingdom. He was fighting against his flesh, our flesh. He was a human, he was a human man. He was fighting against flesh. And ultimately, he fought the fight against death. But he beat every one of those. Because he is a mighty Savior. He beat every one of those enemies. And he's beat them soundly. He recovered from death. He was raised from the dead. So I want to end this morning with a uh, parable found in Luke chapter 19. I didn't put it up here. Uh, I just I wanted, to, I wanted to read it to you. 
and hopefully you'll grab a Bible and read it with me. Um, I've said it before, there's just something different to me about this, right? About a Bible in your hand and reading directly out of the Bible instead of a PowerPoint or instead of your cell phone. There's just something about me, I guess. It's maybe mental, but um, the the Word of God in my hand is just, um, it just affects me differently. It's called the, par- the parable of ten pounds. It's also called the parable of ten minas. It depends on which translation of the Bible that you've got. Uh, mine here is calling it ten pounds, so we're probably going to say pounds. Um, but an interesting parable, beginning in verse number 11, and they heard, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. We're nearing the end of Jesus' ministry. He's coming into Jerusalem. He's going to set up the, the, la- the Last Supper. And still, there's this confusion. Still, they think the kingdom is a physical kingdom. They think that kingdom is coming and he's going to set up a throne. There are religions out there today that teach that Jesus is coming back to set up a literal throne here on this earth and to reign over that throne for a literal thousand years. It's not going to happen. And we'll find the reason in this very parable. In verse number 12, he said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he had returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded the servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very in a very little have thy authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou hast layest, that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knowest that I was an austere man, taking up that I had not laid down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest thou, wherefore then gavest thou my money unto the bank, that at my coming I might have, have required mine own with usury or interest. And he said, he said unto them, that stood by, take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, this is one of my... um, I don't know. It's it's just one of my most powerful verses in the Bible to me. 
But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. So we have a very interesting parable. It talks about this nobleman that goes into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. We put up here at the very beginning all of those noblemen that had gone into a far country to receive for themselves a kingdom. The governor, Pontius Pilate, he'd gone to Rome to receive for himself this governorship over Judea. And they go into the far country, they receive the kingdom, they come back, they're in power. And this story, <clears throat> this nobleman had left some people in charge of his assets. He said, I'm going to give you some of my money, you some of my money, and you guys keep my business running until I get back. He gave them to three different people. There were some people that opposed his leadership or his uh, reign over that part of the country that he was this kingdom. <clears throat> and, and he dealt with them all differently. There were some that did good. They took his money. They turned it into some more money. They did what they. There was one fellow that just took his money and hid it. He was a coward. Hid the hid the Lord's money. Didn't even put it in the bank so he could have interest when he got back. He just said, "Hey, here, here's what you gave me. I, you know, did nothing with it. So you gave me, you get it back." And he judged him pretty, pretty harshly. And then there were those that didn't want to have anything to do with his leadership, with his reign. And he said, bring them hither and kill them at my feet. A very powerful, powerful parable. Again, he, he, he spoke parables because they understood it. It was part of their life. They saw it every day. They saw kingdoms being given to people that went to the, went to the uh, leadership throne or whatever, you know, where, the, where, all the, where the kings sat or where the Roman emperors reigned and they got bits and pieces of the kingdom divided up amongst them. They saw that every day. But you see, his parable is not about a physical kingdom, and that's what Christ was trying to teach his disciples here. It's about a spiritual kingdom. The certain nobleman is Jesus Christ that went into a far country, heaven, to receive for himself a kingdom, the church, and to return judgment. And he judges, he's going to judge us based on that parable on what we've done with the assets that he's left behind for us to, to, to use. So if you're working hard for the for the church and you're working hard for Jesus and he's reigning over your life, well done. You're going to you're going to get 10 cities. You're going to be rewarded. If you're doing just a good job, you're still going to get rewarded. But if you're just hiding your talents and playing the coward in this whole thing, it's going to be a rough judgment. Worse yet, if you decided that Jesus is not going to reign over your life, bring them hither and slay them before me. A very powerful ending to this parable that Jesus taught, teaches them. It's not about the physical natures of this world. It's about a spiritual kingdom. It's about the church. So hopefully, you know, this thing could have gone a million ways, right? When you talk about Jesus, the whole Bible is about Jesus. As Matt and I were talking this morning. You could put together a lot of different sermons on his ministry, <clears throat> but I think it's important to know that he came and he gave us a perfect life as an example. He gave us parable after parable, story after story. He lived the perfect life. We'll talk next week about his death, and then on uh, on New Year's Day we'll talk about his resurrection. Michael's going to take care of his death next Sunday, and then Michael's dad's going to visit on the New Year's Day and take care of the resurrection. I think those are both appropriate, you know, people say, really, the death? Why don't we talking about his birth on Christmas? Well, we'll find that out next Sunday.
And then we're going to talk about his resurrection, this hope of new life on January the 1st, the beginning of a new year. I mean, it couldn't be any better than that. But today we talked about a ministry. We talked about a life. And we talked about the fact that he came and he, he, he fulfilled the old law perfectly. He nailed it to the cross. He set up a new covenant. He set up the church. He set up a new kingdom that he is in heaven reigning over today, this church. And he set up... He's set up some requirements or some expectations that we would gain membership into that kingdom. You know, Brother Dusty talked last Sunday, and I thought he did a very good job. He said, you know, you can't be in the kingdom unless you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can't be in the kingdom unless you're willing to repent and turn away and put God as the the leader in your home and in your life. You can't be in the kingdom unless you're willing to confess his name. And you can't be in the kingdom unless you're willing to be baptized into it. I thought you did a great job, Dusty. That really struck me last week. So this morning, you have an opportunity to either redirect your life. Hey, I've got the Lord's, I've got my talent and I've got the Lord's money hidden in the napkin. I've got it all rolled up. I need to unroll it and get busy. You've got that opportunity this morning to change that. If you're working at a level 5, maybe level 10. And if you're doing everything you can at a level 10, God bless you. We appreciate it. If you've decided in your life that Jesus is not the reigner, He's not the one that's good that's reigning over your life, then I would, I would, uh, I would ask you to make a change in that decision this morning. We, have, we offer that opportunity. If anyone would uh, like the prayers of the church, would like to be baptized into the church, if you come and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.